everyone to the eight. We're so happy that you guys are here. We are starting off a new series here at the eight called It's All Good. It's All Good. So we're starting this series here during the Advent season. What Advent season is all about is us prepping ourselves in anticipation of the eternal uncreated being coming in the form of a body. And this is why Christmas is a big deal. A question that many people ask that have maybe have walked away from the faith, that have maybe, you know, don't even want to entertain Christianity or who Jesus of Nazareth is, and they ask this question when they look at the Bible. Is it true? Is it true? Is it true a man was swallowed by a whale? Is it true that, you know, somebody predicted his own death and overcame it? Is any of this true? And that's an extremely valid question to ask. And, but the reality of this should not be the question to ask about the Bible. Is the Bible true? But because the beauty of Christianity is that Christianity existed in the Mediterranean Rim. It existed in Northern Africa. It existed in different parts of the world way before there was such a thing called the Bible. There was a growth, a movement of what Jesus began that existed for 300 years and tens of thousands of people said, I am a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. Tens of thousands of people said that even before there was such a thing called the Bible. So the question shouldn't be, is it true? But even, let's say, even for people that say, you know, is it true or not? Regardless of that, the question that should be asked instead of that question is, is it good? Is it good? Let's say I don't believe everything that the Bible says. Maybe I don't believe everything that Christianity claims to say it is. Let's say I don't want there. But the question should be asked, and if, if you don't want to ask the question, is it true? Is it good? Some people say, you know what, it's good for some people, but it's not good for me. Like, you know, you, you do your thing, you know, it's good for you, but it's not good for me. You know, you do what's best for you, I do what's best for me. Is it good for you? You do it. If it's good for you, then you go along with it. But I want to still get something. If something says... If something is not good, if you hear something that's not good, you hope that it's not true. If you hear something that's not good, you hope that it's not true. For example, if I came up to you and I says, you know, I heard that Amazon is going back to just selling uh, books. If I told you that, what would you do? You pull out your phone and you would Google. It's like, is this true or not? You want to find out, is this statement true or not? You hope it's not true. If you hear not good news, you hope that it is not true. And the flip side of that, if you hear good news, you hope that it is true. I mean, think about it. Think of all the clickbait that you click on on Facebook, on social media, on the news. There's so many, you know, attractive headliners that pull you in. You know, this pill will make you lose 15 pounds before Christmas. Or, you know, get this fitness machine, whatever, and you're good to go. Or, you know, this one thing will, like, fix your marriage problem or have, you'll, you'll have more fulfillment. Whatever the case might be, there's always clickbait. Come on, let's admit it. We click on the clickbait because we hope that it is true. We see something good, you're like, nah, is that good? And we click on it to see if it is true. Why? We want to naturally lean toward what is good. We naturally lean toward what is good. 2,000 years ago, when people started to record the record and the life of Jesus, who was from the city of Nazareth, they described it being good news, described that this record of this man is, is great joy. The life of, of Jesus is for great joy, and it is for all people. Not a select group of people, but it is for all people. These are what the record tellers are telling us of, as they're writing down and describing the story of who Jesus is. 
But while they're recording it, they never described this being called, oh, this is the Bible. The word that they used was evangelion, evangelion, which means the good news. It would describe, it would say, this is the gospel. Gospel just means the good news. So it was never saying this is the Bible or this is the record. saying, I'm coming to describe the good news. We're going to look at a, at a physician that recorded the details of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection. And his name is St. Luke. He was a physician. So his natural style is to write down excessive amounts of details. Okay, this is his job. Okay, so as he's writing, the, he, he did ex extensive, comprehensive research into the life of Jesus, and he recorded it. And knowing, and something that we know today as the Gospel according to Saint Luke. And if you notice, if you notice the formality of ancient Christianity, the formality of our terminology, and the formality of the language of, of Orthodox Christianity that you will see in, even in, in, in our ancient prayers, which gather around the Eucharist, in our ancient prayers, we say that we are going to read the gospel according to St. Matthew, the gospel according to St. Luke, the gospel according to St. Mark. So we're saying this is the good news. The good news is he. We're going to, we're going to read about the, the records and the manuscript of the good news of Jesus, who is recorded according to St. Luke. So the good news is Jesus, but here's the good news written according to this person, rec recorded from the, from the perspective of this person. So the good news is we know who the good news is, but we say the good news according to whoever. Yes, I know when we talk, we might say the gospel of Mark or the gospel of Luke, Matthew, but the formality of what we see in our pre-denominational faith is that we say the gospel according to St. Luke or St. Uh, Mark or whatever the case might be of, of one of the four gospels. Also, in our ancient prayers, as we gather around to break bread, which was recorded from the book of Acts, which is the pinnacle or, or the centerpiece of our union with Christ, that we say every time that we read the gospel, every time we read the gospel in our ancient prayers in orthodoxy, the priest is praying audible and inaudible prayers that go along the lines of this. Before we read the gospel, we pray as a body, and we say, Lord, make sure that we hear the gospel and make sure that we act. Make us worthy not only just to hear the good news, but make sure that we act on the good news because we take this as serious business. And it's a big deal, the life and record that was recorded of Jesus' life. Also, inaudibly, while the gospel is read, the priest is praying inaudibly that the, what we're hearing, God, make sure that it produces fruit beyond today. I'm paraphrasing, but these are, the, these are the inaudible prayers that the priest is praying inaudibly while the gospel is being read. Lord, that what we're hearing now, it's not just a dry uh, historical manuscript, but this good news, make sure that it's, we don't just hear it one year and out the other, but it produces fruit in our life when we are hearing the good news. So as I mentioned, there are four records of the good news written by Matthew, written by Mark, who's our patron saint, who got his record from St. Peter, who was the first eyewitness. So there's Matthew, Mark, there's Luke, and then there's John, who was one of the youngest disciples who recorded, who was the first eyewitness. But what I want to focus on today is, is St. Luke. So he was a physician, like I mentioned, and he loved to write detail, okay? So he, when he's, he, like, that was his job, like, to write details, details of a chief complaint when he sees patients. So his natural his, mind, his thought process of things is to write down excessive details of what he experiences or, or his conversations that he's had. So St. Luke is recording the life or, or recording the life and the stories that he has heard from Jesus. And he did extensive research around the year 80 to 90 AD of him recording the life of Jesus. He also recorded the, the ups and downs uh, of the first century of Christianity, which we know as the book of Acts. 
So he wrote vast majority of what we know as the New Testament between the gospel according to St. Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts, which records the highs and lows and struggles the first century church had. And what I want to point out is some of the few things that St. Luke recorded uh, in his gospel of, 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 of him recording the life of Jesus. And this is, what him, this is what he recorded, that him quoting what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. What is, saying, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, up to this point, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. So we know the law and the prophets being the Old Testament. Okay, but back then, they didn't know there's no, there no such thing. It's called the Old Testament back then. So Jesus is saying, okay, the Torah, the Jewish manuscript, all the, the, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John the Baptist. All that was proclaimed until the time of John the Baptist. Since that time, so he's like, from this time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone, everyone is forcing their way into it. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. But now, the good news of not how you can get more money, the good news of how you can make life better, the good news of how to do this in life, the good news of something bigger than this temporal life, the good news of that eternal kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone is leaning toward that. Everyone is, is curious about what is that good news of the kingdom. This tapped into the reality of every single human being that there has to be more to life than this. Law and the prophets, all this stuff was being proclaimed until John, but all of that is setting the path for the good news of the kingdom. And everyone, like when, when we talk, we talk, we say, oh man, everyone was there at the party. We kind of say, we, we talk slang like that. We say everyone was there. Okay, but you know, we, we say that, but not really everyone is there. But when Jesus talks like this, but if you look at Jewish literature, when they say everyone, they're literally talking, they're literally talking about everyone. It's not there's only a few. Because what's true of every human being, everyone is wanting to get more out of their life, more out of their marriage, wanting to, to, to overcome certain conflicts or issues. Everyone is looking more. So Jesus is saying that the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, since now, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is leaning toward that. Something you have to, you have to know from a historical perspective. Not many people's lives were, like, if, like, let, okay, let's face it, okay? When I die, no one's going to write a story about my life. And, you know, I hate to say no one's going to write a story about your life, okay? Let's just face it, okay? You know, <laughs> But, but, but so, and back then, no one wrote about the life of someone else. Like, there's tons of novels that exist, but for someone to write the, the life of someone else's life, this is rare now, and it is even super rare back then. Because no one, like, to, to be able to write, you had to be knowledgeable. And to be able to have someone write a story about you, you had to be extremely wealthy because you had to hire someone called a scribe to write down the story of an event that occurred. This is why oral tradition was a big thing in Jewish uh, culture, in Jewish literature. But to, to hire someone to, to write about a story, that was a big deal. It's not as easy as we think. And I want us to point to the very, very first, not the first sentence, but the very first word that this physician, this, this analytical, detail-oriented man, what he wrote, which we know as St. Luke the Evangelist. Just pay attention to what he wrote as he's writing down the manuscript of the life of Jesus that he got from his comprehensive research. Pay attention. The very first word. Many. The very first word that St. Luke wrote was many. Like when we say many, like if I say what's many, it depends what we're talking about, right? Like if I say there was many, uh, I don't know, there was many books, and I say well, there's many stars, okay, there, 
like many, I can use the word many for both, but it depends what I'm talking about. St. Louis continues. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. St. Luke, in his introduction, his first line in his manuscript, many people, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many people have decided to write down and capture the life and record of a man that died. Why? Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So him, for, to, to give a fact, saying many people have tried to record the account and the record and life of Jesus. Just as they were handed down to us by those from the first who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke, St. Luke is saying, listen, what I'm sharing now is legit. Okay, I did a full extensive unbiased research of what I'm presenting to you. And many people have tried to record the life. Many people have hired scribes. Many people have done extensive research to look into the life and the birth of Jesus Christ. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly, orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So many historians kind of go back and forth as far as who is Theophilus. So some historians will say that he's a very wealthy uh, scholar that is wanting to get more details about who the life of Jesus is. So St. Luke is addressing him, but St. Luke also understands that this will have a, a, an impact bigger than just Theophilus. So he's addressing this toward Theophilus. There's a lot of theories that many scholars put as far as who he is. But, just, but, but besides who he is, if you see how St. Luke is beginning, with this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, pay attention to this outliner. We're just in the first verse of the gospel according to St. Luke. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. What is St. Luke saying? Then listen. I'm taking time of doing, after doing a thorough investigation of talking to first eyewitnesses to present to you, Theophilus, so you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Many people were curious of Jesus because they saw some goodness in him that they could not articulate. That he, he had a radical approach to what love is. He had a radical approach to how to, uh, how to deal with conflicts. He had a radical approach to many things in life. And this is why people who are nothing like him liked him. This is why people who are nothing like Jesus leaned in toward him because they saw good news of the kingdom of God within him. So one day, St. Luke records this event that occurred that tons of people are always around Jesus, okay? History tells you there's tons of people always curious about who Jesus is. Some of them were skeptics. Some of them were really wanting life change. And people were coming to St. Luke wanting, or coming, sorry, coming to Jesus wanting life change. So one day, Jesus is in a big house. And, you know, there's no electricity, so it's kind of dark. And everyone's there crowded around Jesus, wanting certain things from Jesus. And then all of a sudden, as you're sitting in this big living room, tons of people, all of a sudden, like, there's like a, a break of light, a ray of light that comes through the ceiling as they're sitting there. Everyone's like, what in the world? And as they're looking, all of a sudden, a huge, like, you know, cassock comes down, um, a, a, a carrying a, a body, carrying somebody down. And Jesus tells this man, your sins are forgiven. Get up and take your mat and walk. 
all the skeptics, all the Pharisees, who saying, Jesus can't forgive sin. Like, it's all cool, but we're watching you do all these supernatural miracles. That's one thing. But to forgive sin, you can't just do that. You can't just say that, Jesus. Like, there's an order to things, how things are done. They have to do certain things in order for their sins to be forgiven. You can't just, just blurt that out and expect him to, for his sins to be forgiven. There's a process in place for that. Jesus tells them this. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus continues and says, I have not come to call the people that feel like they have their life all together. I have not come for people who are not receptive to wanting life change. I'm not, I didn't come for people that are not wanting to be vulnerable and admit the things that are weighing them down. I didn't come for them. But I have come to call sinners to repentance. Jesus now is setting a brand new standard. And this is radical. Maybe we're kind of numb to hearing language like this from Jesus. But this is radical when you look at the psychological standpoint of, of, of Jews back then. If you look at the radical perspective of culture then. And for Jesus to say radical, out-of-the-box statements like this, this rocked their life. Jesus now, I want, you to, I want to read now what St. Luke records of, of what, like, when we say what is good, like, when we say, like, when we say, oh, yeah, he's a, he's a good person. You know, he has a good heart. Like, I told you this before, I, I don't like those statements because that is extremely relative because everyone is a good person. Everyone is a good person. I don't like it when, 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 when single people come to me and says, oh, you know, I met this person. He's really, he has a good heart. Everyone has a good heart. Everyone's good, okay? So I don't like that statement. So everyone is good. But now I want to point to what, how God defines good. This is what the physician, Luke, the evangelist, describes as far as what is good. This is Jesus saying this, but this is, uh, uh, this is recorded from St. Luke's investigation. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Everyone does that. Like, if you're doing good to somebody that was good to you, okay. Everyone does that. Good for you. You're just like everybody else. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. This description, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back, this description is the pinnacle of love. I've described this before. When we say love, we say we love you know, pizza, we love coffee, we love my, I love my wife. We kind of throw out the word love like this. But in Greek, there are five descriptions of what love is. So this description of Jesus, of what, if Jesus is leaning toward this love that he's hinting toward his, his audience, is agave love, is this divine, unconditional, sacrificial love. He says, man, if you love people that love you back and you smile at people that smile back and you hug people that hug you back, so what? So what? Everyone does that. But you're called for something so much more than that. And that is the good news. Love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because your Father is kind to ungrateful, to the ungrateful and wicked. If we admit it, there's parts inside of all of us. I'm ungrateful. There's parts of me that are wicked, that I just hate this about myself, that I need to change. I hate it when I react like that. 
I hate that this consumes me. I hate that this is destroying my, my, my marriage, my relationship, my whatever. I hate that part of me. But you know what the good news is? Is God is there to accept us. Not just God, but he has invited us to call him Father. That's good news. Jesus says, be merciful. Uh, how should I be merciful? Or how should I love others? Well, what's the bar to extend that? Because every, everyone loves each other. Everyone's, you know, kind and gentle and merciful to others. What's the bar? Like, what, what's, the, what's the constant? What's the, what's the standard to what that is? Jesus says, okay, be merciful just as your father is merciful. But if I think about it, Jesus was merciful. He had no boundaries. Regardless of who came to him, he extended mercy to everyone. So is that, is that where the bar is? That's good news. What breaks my heart is people, and, I'm, and, I, and I apologize for people that have been molded by thinking that God, that your father is not merciful, that God is upset with you, sad at you, angry at you because of what you did in the past or because you're doing this or doing that. But the most organic, the, most, the fullest version of Christianity, the fullest version of who Jesus is, the beauty of ancient Christianity is that we can embrace who Jesus is in full, that he is full of love, full of mercy. And now he's not telling us just to believe in his mercy, but he's telling us to act on it. He's saying to believe, okay, believe in one thing, but I want you to follow that. I want you to be merciful just as your father is merciful. I want you to extend love the same way that I have loved. This is why St. Paul tells husbands and wives, husbands, I want you to love your wives in the same way that Jesus loved the church. What's the bar to that? That's to death. St. Luke also records of Jesus saying, one of my favorite sentences, where Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Which is saying, I'm not coming to be served. That's not, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to serve and to give of myself to others. Is it true? Come and see. Is it true? History will tell you. Look at St. Luke the Evangelist. Look at his comprehensive research. Is it true? Because people were following Jesus. Before they were convinced it was true, they were following him because they knew there was something good in him. Before they were convinced it was true, they were leaning toward Jesus because they knew there was something good in him. And his radical message resonated with them. Is it true? History tells us. The question should be, is it good? First century Christians thought it was good. No, they weren't Christians. First century skeptics thought it was good. First century people that were hesitant leaned in toward him because of the good news of who Jesus is. Theophilus leaned in toward him, toward the good news, because he saw goodness in him. Because Jesus loves to take our ungoodness to make us good. Jesus loves to take our ungoodness and point us to what is good, because he is good. And those people that were skeptics, people that took a step back, and after looking at the thorough investigation of the life of Jesus that St. Luke recorded, their life was not the same, because they realized that Jesus took our ungoodness to point us to goodness. And then they saw that goodness from God of him coming in a body. That goodness became tangible, became real. This is why Christmas is such 
a big deal because it's all good. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, there's just always tons of noise and hesitation and questions that come to our mind. But Lord, we ask that you give us clarity for us to see you in a brand new light, for us to, to, to live this season of Christmas, not just with noise and craziness and just busy and running around, but we can look at it through a brand new light. That we can embrace the reality that you, being uncreated, became man in order for us to find out what goodness is and what you have called us to live. Lord, help us not just settle for just believing in this, but for us to live this out because this is what you have asked your disciples to do and we are called to do the same now. Lord, we're grateful for, for, for St. Luke taking tons of time to, to record every aspect of Jesus' life and for, and for you to cherish that for, and for us to have that record with us now. Lord, help these words, help the text, help that the gospel not just be just dry words on a page or on a screen, but it can resonate with us that we not only hear, but we act according to your holy gospel. Through the prayers of St. Luke, the evangelist, and all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Two quick announcements. The first one is about New Year's Eve. Like we're going to have dessert.